Hey everyone, hope your week is going off to a great start. We're talking about rural broadband today. We recorded this early last week since John is out this weekend, so we didn't get a chance to talk about our Patreon exclusive this week, and we'll be recording it shortly, so it should be up later in the week. We are reading and dissecting good old J.D. Vance, John Dammit Vance's tweets. Oh yeah, it's uh, it's going to be a good time. I'm pumped. You're pumped. Make sure that if you're not a Patreon member already, you join our Patreon, patreon.com slash appodlatcha. You get access to this and all of our previous exclusives. I think we have 26 at this point. It's pretty wild to think about. But uh, anyway, thank you all so much again for supporting us. It really means the world to us. Y'all have made this pandemic for John and I much, much better than it would have been just by listening to us and supporting us. So we're forever grateful for that. So thank you. And uh, we hope that you enjoy the show, and we've got a lot of really cool stuff coming up. We've got a lot of really, really great guests that I think you all will enjoy, a lot of really fantastic topics to talk about. And so, yeah, really, really excited about it, and appreciate you all, and hope you have a wonderful day. Anyway, here's the show. I'll stop rambling. Thank you, and talk to you soon. The nip comes just three weeks after the rescue dog bit a Secret Service agent, prompting Biden to come to his dog's defense. Major did not bite someone who penetrates the skin. You turn a corner and there's two people who don't know at all, and you know, and, and they move and he, he moves to protect. But he is—he's a, a sweet dog. Full of it today. I'm rocking the Mingo Miners shirt cut off right now. If you're watching on YouTube, I'm ready to rip. We got a real sexy subject today on rural broadband. I know. Get high, get ready. But before that, I kind of feel embarrassed that I haven't brought this up yet. And, you know, the story, it's old, but I think it's evergreen. We got to talk about Major <laughs> Biden. Okay. You know what I'm talking about? He, okay. I thought you'd be more excited. All right, let's try that again. We got to talk about the dog, the rowdiest dog the White House has ever seen, Major Biden. There you go. That, now I'm pumped. That's, well, that's the whole reason I wanted to talk about it because I just, I love this. I love this. He recently took a shit in the White House. Did you know that? <laughs> I didn't know about that. I, I hadn't heard that one yet. He did. And Fox News was so quick to report it. He took a shit in the White House. And this is after he's nipped. I want to say at least two members of the Secret Service. I could be wrong. Yeah, I did hear about that. Yeah. Well, so he's nipped them, but he's also taken a dump, at least one that we know of. And I'm I'm for it, okay? Because I think we need some rowdy ass sort of redneck dog in the White House. Because too often we've had animals that are too well groomed. I mean, the Obamas, they had their, you know, nothing against their dog, but they had a Portuguese water hound. It was purebred, you know, always done up for the cameras. And then you've got rowdy ass Major Biden rolling in here, caked in mud, just doesn't give a fuck. And I, for one, am here for it. Look, I, <laughs> this is like one of those, um, uh, I'm trying to think of a, a good uh, way to describe it. But any, anyway, you have like all of those like super well-groomed like um, bred dogs that have been, you know, been presidential dogs in the past. But now you've got these these rescue dogs that just walk in and take over because they understand that you've got that. Look, they've been in the joint before. OK, that's the men, that's have. the mentality they have They've done time. That, they've done time. That's the mentality they have. And and when you're look as I, I I know this from research. Uh, when you're in prison, you you be, you get a mindset. And look, Bosley, he's had that mindset. Well, he still has it. He's ne- it's never gone. Uh, so he gets it. And I think that that's what's going on in the White House. Yeah. Well, you know, I think what it is is it makes Biden relatable. Yeah. Okay. Look, he was Am- Amtrak Joe. All right. <laughs> 
And that's, you know, Amtrak Joe with his rowdy-ass German Shepherd or whatever the hell it is. It makes me feel like I can relate to my president because I, too, have a misbehaved-ass dog who gets into a lot of trouble. And who, if my dog were allowed in the White House, God forbid that day ever happen. But if my dog were allowed in the White House, guarantee you she's taking a shit in the Lincoln bedroom. 100%. Did you graduate with Clark? I did. I have a funny story about Clark. When we got... Uh, Bosley, Bosley uh, was, he was only like with us uh, at our house for like the first few months because we didn't want, we wanted to get him uh, associated and stuff. But anyway, we end up letting Bosley go to Chuck's, or to Chuck's, to Clark's house, right? And at the time, it was probably February, so he had just taken down, like, all the Christmas lights and everything, and Bosley and his dogs are having a great time, and, you know, we're like, wow, Bosley's going to be a great dog to go, you know, to take to people's houses, we're going to be able to do it. Come to find out, Bosley had gone around to every pile of Hmm. Christmas lights and either pissed or shit in them. Because he was, I'm assuming, trying to like claim his place, but why, he why lights? He, I, there must have been some scent on him. But anyway, he he pissed on every pile of them <laughs> and, and took a and took a dump took a dump downstairs where where Clark was doing a remodel at the time. <laughs> well, I so mean, Bosley was, wanted to to get his mark on the new build. I, I get it. I he mean, wanted to, he wanted to christen it. Right? Yeah. It's like this is what I think of contractors. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Uh, yeah, that's that's Boz. What a guy. I support Bosley marking his territory anywhere except for my house, but uh, he's never been here, so it's he great. De- if he ever goes there, he will definitely mark his territory. One time we we got a, a it was like an Airbnb, only it was through Verbo, in the Blue Ridge Mountains, I guess, there Blue Ridge it was North Georgia, wherever it was. It was a place called Young Harris, Georgia, in fact. Close to Blue Ridge, Georgia. That's where it was. So we got a cabin, and it said no pets, but we're like, you know, nobody's going to come out here and check, which is fine, and they didn't, but we got we brought my dog because it was, you know, it was too expensive to board her, and, you know, she's fine, whatever. It's a coonhound. She's a little rowdy, but whatnot. Go in there. Put her in the cabin. We're there, and we were there with Kristen's family, and... I I kid you not. Within the first ten minutes, dog dog drops a dump just in the middle of the guest hallway, and it's like, come on, man! Like Heidi is big dog is not ready for prime time. That's my dog. For anybody listening that doesn't realize it, big dog is my dog. Uh, her name is Heidi. We call her big dog. But so I think her and Major Biden can relate, which is good getting back full circle. And I, I just want to tell you, like, I fully support Major Biden taking a shit in the White House. I really do. And it's not because I disrespect, like, I, I don't respect the White House. I do. I respect it as a, as a um, you know, a historic piece of property. But, you know, I also respect the fact that Major Biden just, maybe he just wants to let loose, you know, get rid of some anxiety, some, you know, pent up aggression possibly. And, and I'll, I'll, you know, I will digress on this, but I would say this. It's better than the human shit that was inevitably all throughout the White House the past four years. But on uh, the, the last thing I'll add to this, if if you're on if for everybody on the uh, Patreon Zoom call, you already heard slash saw this. Uh, but for you who all weren't, uh, we we did a little round of like show your dog off type thing. Show and tell. And um, I I wanted to show, I showed Bosley, but then I wanted to show Bonnie, uh, who is a little like Corgi Chihuahua mix. So she's not, you know, she's kind of all over the place. But anyway, I went to pick her up and she pissed everywhere during this, (laughs) during this zoom call. And I kid you not, I had her three feet off the ground and she's just pissing (laughs) everywhere. It is all over. Well, I, she, she gets like that where she like, she won't go to the bathroom for the longest time, but then she gets excited and there it goes. Like, and I think she was just really excited oh for the God. zoom call <laughs> and, uh, she just let her I in. Can't blame I, mean, her. I, I mean, look, I'm, I've never, uh, I, I don't think she's ever peed that much before, but she, she really wanted to show off for the zoom call, I guess. Well, you know, if that's not incentive enough to join our Patreon, I don't know what is. You can watch watch John's dog just absolutely 
piss their brains out. <laughs> that's uh, that's what your money is getting you. So congratulations. Yeah. That's not even in the tier promise. No, it's not. That's that's not in the race hell praise dolly. It's not in anything. It's uh, it's an added yeah. bonus, you know. And that's what you get with Patreon membership. A wonderful added bonus. <laughs> you know, and speaking of, it's a, it's a good segue. That's another real segue into our announcements, uh, which we don't have much. So we'll put a pin in that. And um, is that your dog barking or was that you barking? <laughs> Big dog. Uh, that's Big dog. dog. Hey, you st- which one? Stop that. That's Bosley. Bosley, you're not that fucking tough. Bark again. <laughs> yeah, let's hear it. <laughs> he just did. <laughs> I know you can't hear me because you got heads on, headphones on. As most of our listeners are probably well aware by now, we're extremely picky about any type of partnerships or business deals that we get into. That being said, I got to tell you about this current company that we're working with called Starry Eyes Media. It's an Appalachian-owned and operated media company who recently built our entire website from scratch, appodlatcha.com. Go check it out. I promise you're going to be impressed. But that's not even all they do. Their services include branding and print design. Chuck, with their branding services, I kid you not, Starry Eyes Media goes well above and beyond just creating logos. They have a grip on the most innovative approaches in the media business today. In fact, Chuck, this company, Starry Eyes Media, is so impressive, they are going to be the first recipient of the Big John stamp of approval, and I don't give that out, that being the first one. Make sure for more information, you go to StarryEyesMedia.com or even give them a call 1-800-889-8343. Highly impressed by this company. If you're a business or a person looking for any type of media work, Starry Eyes Media is the company for you. All right, Big John, we're bringing back Data Latcha. This is the segment of the show where I cite a number, an important statistic about Appalachia that helps describe the region and is a lead into the main part of the episode. John tries to guess that we have a good time. John, the number, your data for today, 72%. Okay, uh, 70, 72%. Uh, 72%. Okay, uh, I don't, uh, no hints. Okay, 72, None. 72% is. Uh, I'm not making that joke. That's terrible. Uh, I was let it rip. I was gonna do ma- it. I was do just it. gonna make a bar fail joke. <laughs> Seventy two percent. What I didn't get on the bar. Seventy two percent. We didn't take it. Seventy two percent. No, still didn't get a seventy two. <laughs> honestly, uh, I probably stole seventy two percent of all cookies from Ponderosa buffets. And I wish that that were what we were talking about, okay. because okay. this would also be called intervention <laughs> diabetes addiction. I'm waiting for that. I'm waiting for that sit down. If I didn't lose all that weight, I know that was coming. That's why I did it. I wanted to avoid yeah, it. I, and I can make that joke because I'm pre-diabetic, so. Oh, okay. Well. Hypoglycemia. <laughs> Not a sponsor. <laughs> Not a, it's a sponsor to my early grave. Yeah. Um, 72% Big John. Uh, it was. It is not a reference to the amount of cookies you've okay. taken from a Ponderosa. Good guess, okay. though. 72% real guess. Uh, 72% the current percentage of Appalachia that has broadband. I will accept that. I will accept nice. that answer. Um, nice. I will accept it because the data I'm looking at is from 2013 to 2017. So it's probably could could have fluctuated between now and 20, or then in 2021. But yeah, 72% of Appalachian households had a broadband internet subscription, which is, and this is important, roughly 6% below the national average. Yeah. But in 80 of the regions counties so 80 of probably the most rural counties the share was less than 60 percent yeah that's a huge problem wouldn't you say uh give or take and then people want to people want to argue or ask why appalachia like can't bring employers here and then the first thing they do is say like oh it's the you know it's all the drugs people the companies won't come because of all the drugs the companies won't come because they can't 
they can't actually come here. They can't, they they don't have the ability to set up shop here. No, they don't. No, they don't. And this is why we've been harping on this show and on our social media and in our personal lives and to anybody that will listen to us about rural broadband. Because maybe it's not the sexiest topic, John, but it certainly is one of the most important. And contrary to popular belief of what Ben Shapiro, a.k.a. Benus Shapinus, has po- has pointed out on the internet, broadband is infrastructure, and we're going to talk about why that is. I can't take credit for that nickname, but I love it. Rural broadband, John, I'm not going to get into a lot of details about this. I think um, we're going to talk about, you know, what this means to us and what, why we think it's important. But just to give you a little bit of background knowledge for people listening at home, rural broadband is essentially high-speed internet in rural areas. Broadband is sort of a, it's more of a generalized term, but the FCC describes rural broadband as high-speed internet. They consider high-speed to be a download speed of 25 megabits per second or higher and an upload speed of 3 megabytes. MGB? Is that what that is? Megabytes? Megabits. It's still megabits, sorry. And an upload speed of 3 megabits or higher. Don't know what that means to you. It doesn't mean a lot to me, but I know that that's not really considered fast by most measurements. It's not. But even at that... um, Places in Appalachia, especially, but also throughout the country, are lacking in high-speed internet. It's estimated that 65% of counties counties in the United States, not just Appalachia, in the United States, have an average connection speed lower than that FCC definition of broadband. And that doesn't even get into the discussion of actual reliability. That's just access. Um, so you may have access to broadband, but it may not even be reliable. Um, To give you an example, in Appalachia, Mississippi, only 63% of their rural population have access to high-speed broadband. And if you think about Mississippi, a lot of Mississippi is rural. I mean, they have one major urban hub, really, I guess, and that's Jackson. And then maybe maybe you could consider Biloxi down in the coast to be not rural, but a lot of Mississippi is rural. So that kind of gives you a preview, and many Appalachian states are very similar to that. John... Why does this matter? Why why do we talk about this? Why do we care about rural broadband, about internet access in rural areas? Why do we care? I think there's I think there's a number of reasons. First off, the obvious one that we just talked about, uh, in order to be competitive on a national and even international scale, because you know obviously the invention of the internet has put everybody against everybody in terms of competition. Without broadband, Appalachia has no chance. We already have other things that are running against us, but that is, uh, you know, one of the big ones that's stopping people from moving here or, or wanting to come here and bring their business here. The other thing is uh, now in 2021, as we're continuing to move through this coronavirus pandemic, people are looking at remote work even more. Uh, it's it's something that companies are now talking about at an all time high, because if you if you remember like five years ago, no company wanted remote work. They wanted to keep people indoors. They wanted them at their offices. They, they wanted them to show up Monday through Friday, eight to four every day. It didn't matter. But now that's changed. Companies are seeing that in actuality, research is showing that people are getting more work done even with being at home and taking care of their kids because they're in a far more comfortable environment. They're able to, to multitask a lot easier and they don't have to worry about other things associated with offices. But why would people want to do remote work in West Virginia if they don't have fast internet or they don't have internet at all? It's not possible. Mississippi, why would people want to go there? You're absolutely right. And I, I think, I'm glad you brought up remote work because that's one of the issues that I think because of the pandemic is so much more important and worth talking about with this. There's a lot and we're going to talk about a couple others, but with remote work, one thing, and I think I maybe referenced this in a previous episode, but places like West Virginia, like East Tennessee, especially it's beautiful, beautiful country in East Tennessee or Western North Carolina or places like Appalachian, Mississippi, Alabama, Kentucky, are really, really great places if you want to go and not be in an urban environment like New York City or Washington, D.C. Or, or, you know, even, you know, even a Charlotte, North Carolina or somewhere like that. 
And it would be a really fruitful opportunity for people to move there or even for employees or employers to maybe partially relocate to places like that if they had reliable broadband. Because, you know, and I was thinking about this the other day. My wife and I were, you know, we we just moved to the D.C. metro area um, last June 2020, so not even a year. And, you know, we're trying to assess, like, do we want to live here permanently? Like, it's super expensive, kind of tough, you know, make that work. Um, And one thing I thought about was, like, you know, I would love to be able to, both of us, I guess, work remotely and be able to move back to, like, West Virginia or move to somewhere else in Appalachia that's a little bit more rural, that's cost of living's lower, but the pace of life is also a little bit lower and it's better to raise your family in. And that would be like, that would be super ideal, but you know, considerations like the reliability and access of broadband are big ones and big prohibitive factors for that. And also big prohibitive factors for companies to bring jobs in, you know, that's a big thing. I mean, almost any company right now, unless it's like solely, you know, um, work with your hands kind of labor, there's going to be some aspect of it. It's going to be done online and on the internet. And the trend is only trending more in the direction of, of wired work, so to speak. So, I mean, that's a huge aspect of it. Yeah. I mean, uh, currently my wife works, uh, works at home. I did for a long time until they brought us back, but, but just the, the amount that, the amount that she has to work and the reliability that she needs in Parkersburg, which is uh, not a big city. I never mind cut Parkersburg and the city we live in uh, that usually uh, reliability is still an issue, even though it's a bigger city and a small state like West Virginia, we still have a lot of outages. We've Chuck, you've seen it. You know, when we go to record, I'll have a random outage. Uh, you know, internet won't be able to, to come up. So I can't record at that moment. So I have to wait <laughs> to record. I'm just going to say the irony of that is that you got choppy throughout that statement. And so when I do the video for this, it's going to be you going. All right. Well, there you go. That's perfect. Uh, That's my Internet. Anyway, the remote work is the future. It's going to be what everybody does. I mean, it's just point blank. Companies can now save money without brick and mortar buildings because they can just have you do it at home. Uh, It's going to it's going to be the the way the future companies are going to have to have that reliability. Otherwise people are going to leave. I think what Vermont's doing is genius. Vermont is a small state that doesn't have a ton to offer in terms of, uh, you know, major corporations moving there, but they're a beautiful state and now they have really reliable broadband. So what, what happens? People are moving there in droves because they can now work from home, have a great time and live in one of the most beautiful States in this country. It's a win, win, win. Uh, I think it's great. And then you have you have states like West Virginia, Mississippi, um, who are more focused on, you know, banning trans kids than they are getting, you know, their economy to actually uh, be improved at all. Yeah, well, that's a thing. I mean, states like West Virginia, Mississippi and all these others, um, this is like a golden goose sitting in front of them. And. They're just ignoring it for these culture war issues. And and I should say the legislatures and particularly the Republican dominated legislatures, just to be specific. But you're right. And I just think that like more and more, this is going to be the reality, especially after the pandemic, like things are not going to go back to exactly how they were before. We know that. And that's been demonstrated to employers. They can now that lots of employers have seen their businesses function perfectly fine with a lot of people remote and they're going to continue allowing that or allowing the flexibility. And you better bet that people with like young families are going to take advantage of that because I mean, with the cost of childcare, which I don't even, I won't even get into with this, but just the cost of childcare alone, if you're able to stay at home and maybe work part time or be able to take care of your kids sometimes so that you don't have to put them in daycare, huge. The other thing I was thinking of too, and this kind of gets pushed by the wayside a little bit, but this is so important, especially in places in Appalachia, is telehealth. And so what that means is being able to have access to healthcare from your computer, basically, from the internet. And I'll tell you, John, as an example, over the past 12, 13 months, maybe, 
I haven't had an in-person doctor's appointment at all, but I've had over 10, 12, 13 doctor's appointments for various different things. And they've all been like through um, private video channels um, online through telehealth. And a lot of um, like medication I take that you have to consult with a doctor for can be done online. It's fantastic. It, honestly, it is amazing because you don't have to wait in a doctor's office. You don't have to take time off work to do that. You have a pre-scheduled time. Most of the time, my doctors have been on time for it. It's been amazing. And this could really revolutionize people's access to healthcare in Appalachia, even just for, for people that are trying to see like a therapist or something, or they're trying to check in with their doctor and telling them about you know how they're feeling, et cetera. Certain things have to be done in person, but a lot of stuff doesn't. And that's where you know, people would benefit so much from having access to high-speed internet to be able to do this. You know, you think about a place like Mango, hence where the shirt, uh, where, you know, the closest doctor might not be for 30, 45 an hour down the road. But if you had access to high-speed internet, they could be click away. That's a good point. I've only done, I think, one telehealth thing. And, uh, it was interesting. I thought it was one of those things I wouldn't like, but I actually ended up liking it. Surprisingly. Because I, I was... Oh, I love it. I'm super anti-social. Yeah, I, well, I was a little worried about it, to be honest with you. The other thing I think that's going to be really important to, I guess, talk about would be... There's this... Obviously, there's this new bill that's coming up that... You know, infrastructure bill that we've had plenty of conversations on Twitter about because for some reason... People don't think that broadband is infrastructure, which makes zero sense at all. Uh, broadband is probably the most uh, es- essential uh, piece of infrastructure we have right now. It's also one of the least developed parts of it. The The thing is going to be, though, Chuck, I, the number that you gave, the 72%, that also includes old fiber, which is going to be really important because old fiber is not going to work when it comes to new broadband. It's not going to get the speeds that people need. It's not going to have the reliability. We're going to have to redo that. And part of the problem is currently old law shows or old regulations stop us from like just digging it up out of the ground and replacing it with new fiber. Usually they want to do people, they want to do areas that don't have anything first, which would include some of the bigger cities across Appalachia, just not being able to get an upgrade. And the other thing is a lot of the times it's dependent on income levels. So if there's a place that doesn't meet the threshold in terms of in uh, LMI, then it's going to be one of those issues that we have continuing until those regulations are changed. So uh, that's just a random thing, but I wanted to point that out. Let's talk about why it is infrastructure, why broadband is. And one of, you know, infrastructure is a term that's thrown around a lot. Typically, it's used to describe like roads, bridges, um, you know, power supplies, things that are physical structures that are needed for a modern society. That's how I would describe it. And, and oftentimes it is physical, and that's fine because broadband certainly fits that definition. We talk about broadband... This includes, you know, two big buckets, both wireless and wired internet. So, you know, wireless meaning use Wi-Fi, whatever, yada, yada, what have you. Um, But also wired as in, you know, Ethernet, uh, uh, DSL, that type of thing. So any type of infrastructure associated with broadband, if you're talking about wireless, you're talking about towers that are supported with antennas and repeaters, which is physical infrastructure. When you're talking about wired, it's fiber optic cables or copper wire like you talked about. So it's literally installing fiber optic cables. This is this is infrastructure. One million percent it is. I don't care who you are. And th- it's lacking in a lot of these rural areas. So what you mentioned is a really good point that a lot of this stuff is old and outdated. It needs replaced. That's where the federal government can come in and finance that kind of stuff. Cause right now a lot of it is private finance. And so if you're Verizon or AT&T or T-Mobile, it doesn't really make a lot of sense for you financially to put a bunch of, of infrastructural operations in a place like rural North Carolina or rural West Virginia or wherever, because it just doesn't fit your bottom line. That's why we need the government to step in on this. There is a ma- there is a major issue with that, though, and that it's what we've seen in the past is like the the government will fund 
um, to have fiber laid, but then it's really difficult to get a company to want to serve out there because yeah, the, the fiber has been laid, but then there's only 10 customers, right? And the agreement is once that fiber is laid and the contract is awarded, that then becomes the, uh, responsibility of the provider. So if something goes wrong with the fiber and so they don't see the risk reward, we're going to have to figure something out there though, in terms of getting, even if it's, uh, one of the ideas is to start regulating, um, it as a utility. And I think that one that, I think well, and what does that mean? What does it mean to regulate it as it a would, utility? Cause it, that, I feel like that term has been thrown around a lot, especially with the internet. Yeah, so it would be essentially be taken under a PSC, which is a public service commission. Uh, So it's anything like uh, water and sewer, for instance. So the bills that you get, uh, those are those are all regulated. So even though they come from a PSD or a public service district, they are still going to be uh, regulated by a higher entity at the government level. So they can't just uh, they can't just do increases when they want. They have to have the PSC has to approve of it. They can't just. enact projects to do projects. The PSC has to be in on that. There's a lot of rules and regulations that go into to going over these PSDs. Uh, but internet's not treated the same way, even though it's starting to be looked at as that same type of entity where we have to we have to ensure that people are getting service and ensure that it's good service while also being affordable enough to actually apprehend. And I think that it being um put under a utility could be beneficial. It won't be easy because there are a lot of people who don't think that that broadband should be under that. I personally do. Um, but in, in, that is, you're right. That, that term is used a lot. And I don't think people always know what that means in terms of um, that regulation. And, and trust me, Verizon, uh, Suddenlink, Comcast, they're all going to fight that. They don't want to be under PSCs. So it's going to be an uphill climb. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, you're going to see it just shit flying left and right on that because they don't they don't want the uh, the restraints on them limiting their free market invisible hands. Yeah. And, and the one thing I will say is there are a lot of people who I think doubt the impact of broadband and doubt the impact of, of Internet. I could tell you from like from being in these small communities who don't, who the, the only option is satellite internet, which is like $200 a month. And I'm not making that up. Like it is, it, it is super expensive. Uh, I 100% believe it. Yeah. And so and it's, it's not good service. The service kicks out all the time. And so once that, that broadband is laid, you should see the development of those companies, the the small businesses who have been there, who can now finally use like a square for yeah. credit card transactions. Like it's stuff, it's stuff like that, that, that people don't think about that makes a massive difference and can change the, the scope of a town really quickly. One thing you pointed out, which is kind of obvious is there's just not much competition in the space of internet service providers. And that's a huge, huge problem. I don't, I'm not an expert on that. So I don't really know all the ways to solve it. I know in Tennessee, what's interesting is that they have a lot of smaller rural broadband providers. So in a place like Nashville, like you're really just, you know, stuck with AT&T, Comcast, that type of thing. But if you get into some of those like more rural counties, you usually have a provider for that county that's not associated with AT&T or what have you. And I can't speak to whether or not that's a good thing. I know that like there's still some issues with that, but it at least gives a little bit more local control to, um, to people in rural areas so they're not beholden to those bigger interests and they can kind of run it how they want. That might be one option. I think, you know, this is why it's tough, right? Like the internet dominates everything right now, but yet there's still so many people that don't have reliable quality access to it. And, you know, I don't have all the answers to that, but I do think that, that regulating it like a public utility is really smart because it also allows you to be able to reach more people. You know, if you look at it like water or like electricity, it's the same thing. I mean, it's a lot easier to provide electricity for people in a, in an urban area where, everybody is closer together where you don't have to, you know, do, um, a a power cut into different ridge lines to get across to, uh, to get to another holler to get them electricity. So, but still like people, you know, I mean, we were, we found a way to connect most people with clean, clean drinking water and electricity. Now there are still plenty of problems with that in Appalachia, which we could get into and spend days on, but 
suffice it to say, it's possible. And part of that is having the government play a bigger role so there's less of a profit motive because it is not profitable to provide high-speed internet to certain places, certain haulers, certain places where people are desperately trying to live. But it's something we need to make happen. Yeah, I mean, we're, we're going to have to make it accessible for them. And at the, at the same time, we're going to have to pull old fiber to get towns and, and even cities get them to the point where they're now competing at, you know, the, the best level that they can, because I, there, there is that sense. What's the only way they survive? Right, right. It's the only way some of these towns survive. I mean, you look at some of these smaller towns, coal mining towns, but ones that just like are just smaller, you know, like a, like a McMinnville, Tennessee, for example, where if you don't have reliable access to the internet, you're f- like you are absolutely fucked but if you do that opens up a lot of opportunity that wouldn't normally be there that's where like you know a mingo county can actually be connected within the 21st century economy whereas right now they they can't really yeah and the thing that always (laughs) it pisses me off too it's like i hear people say like um well you know, it's their choice to live out there or why do they really need it is kind of always an issue that I see. Like there is some inclination that people in, I don't know, like Hazard, Kentucky or Mingo County, West Virginia, that for some reason they're not creative people who, I don't know, could have like an Etsy shop like every other person on this fucking planet uh who could make money doing things like that who could start a podcast maybe it takes off maybe they make money from it who knows maybe they're just maybe they are really good at building websites but they can't do it because they don't have access to the internet and they're driving an hour each way i mean there are so many possibilities this this inclination of why do people deserve it needs to stop it 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 does it's it's remarkable how selfish we've gotten when it comes to these things. And the fact is that we can no longer see, uh, see how other people have to live and, and have any, any empathy at all. It's insane. But anyway, broadband is one of those. I'm with you. Yeah. I mean, broadband is one of those hot topics too, that politicians, I think honestly could capitalize a lot more on. Um, Oh, that's something glad you mentioned that, (laughs) that, but, but before we move We should move on to that, but I want to say, and this is going to make some people mad, that there are a lot of Appalachian uh, legislators, Republicans, Democrats, maybe people who listen to the show don't like. And I don't like I don't like everything they do, but I will say a lot of them are on the forefront of broadband. They they are pushing the ARC to do things. They're getting money to the ARC. They're getting money to states. So I will say, you know, credit where credit is due. We're not going to just call out people and make fun of them. We're also going to give them credit. Like there are people like Joe Manchin and, and Shelly Moore Capito who, who do bring a lot of money to the state of West Virginia for things like broadband. It, 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 it's just the facts. And there are people in, you know, in Kentucky who are able to bring money for broadband. There are people in Tennessee, you know, it doesn't matter. An R or D next to their name, they're doing it. The problem is that they're, it takes time for one and two, there's only so many resources. So you have all these cities and all these towns competing for the same resources and trying to justify why they should get it, why they should get the upgrade or why they should get the installation. So uh, it's a really long process, but I think that that infrastructure bill at the federal level could really help. My opinion is the Republicans have actually done a better job on the messaging end of, of making this an issue. Now I, I can't really speak to what they've actually done, but because a lot of their constituents live in rural areas, it's something that they focus more on. I think Democrats have completely and totally dropped the ball on this issue, and it could have been an it could be an issue that really helps them bring in rural voters. It really does, and I just think that they've completely dropped the ball, like nationally, from the messaging standpoint. Now there are plenty of Democrats locally that are messaging around this, but it is something that's really important and and something that is frustrating for a lot of people. You know. It's easy to take it for granted. You and I both have smartphones. We both have, you know, at least for the most part, reliable internet. A lot of people don't have that, especially in places like we've been, Hampshire County, West Virginia, a place I spent, you know, several summers of my life there. They're one of the worst when it comes to access to reliable high-speed internet in West Virginia. Other places, too, and um, in rural southwestern Virginia, same thing. So... And the politics of it is smart. I mean, it's a no-brainer in my opinion. You know, infrastructure oftentimes is a no-brainer because 
look, I mean, everybody drives on roads and bridges and everybody's going to get pissed off at a pothole. So you say you're going to spend more money on that. That's good. That's great. Rural broadband is obviously a part of that conversation. And if I'm a Democrat, I'm campaigning hard on that because I want everybody to be connected and I want everybody to have the same type of opportunity, especially, you know, look at farmers. Farmers are some of the biggest beneficiaries of rural broadband, the ability to access online livestock markets, to be able to purchase and run state of the art um, farming equipment that helps them farm more efficiently and more effectively. You know, I, I, like those are the types of things that people don't think about with this, but that are so important. And politically, we talk a lot about politics on this show. Politically, in my opinion, slam fucking dunk. The the politics is is a really weird part of it too, because like I said, I do think that there could be um, somebody could cap. I don't, I don't think either party has has fully capitalized on it. And I do agree that I think Republicans are starting to do a better job with their messaging. But but they don't have a they don't have a monopoly on it yet, right? Like obviously we know which party you know has monopolies on things, but there's no monopoly on this. So either party could really capitalize here. There's not, but there could be by Republicans if they're not careful. Right. If 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 the Democrats don't step up and create messaging for it, it doesn't matter. But again, this comes back to the same point that I will make <laughs> every time we talk about rural issues. And it's the fact that it feels like the national level Democrats have forgotten and, for, and given up on rural voters. And because of that, they don't talk about things like broadband because people in New York City and California and major, you know, major, uh, major cities they don't they don't care about that because they have it. It's not a big deal to them. There are some people who do understand why it's important to other areas uh, it, that do care about it. But in terms of your everyday average voter who, let's say, lives in, um, you know, lives in New York, they don't they don't care about broadband. They have it. It's, it's not a hot issue. It's not something it's not a sexy issue like we joked around about at the beginning of the show. So it's one of those things that Democrats can control uh, if they if they start really focusing in on it, but we'll see. I, I don't even, I guess personally, like I honestly don't care about the politics of it. I just want it done. I don't care who does it. Like, I don't care if it's Democrats, Republicans, Libertarians. I don't care. I'm with you. Yeah. Just get it done. Let's do this. And like I said, there is a lot of good work. And I know that there are people who are really kind of upset at the way broadband has been. I promise you, there are people who are doing so much work. It's insane. They're, you know, they've dedicated their lives to making sure that Appalachia gets broadband. So, uh, there are a lot of good people. We cannot discount their work. And, uh, I I think that, that they're going to be the people who can push us forward. If, if people let them, that's going to be the big thing. I think you're right. And, and that, that is a good flag. You know, it, it is important to mention that, um, that that's, you know, there are people throughout all of Appalachia in this country, uh, outside of Appalachia, they're doing important work on rural broadband every day, and we appreciate that. I'm just hoping that more can be done, and one of the big things is passing an infrastructure bill through this Congress that has robust funding for rural broadband. $100 billion, I believe, is the current number. I hope that that goes to that, and I hope that it's distributed not just as a bailout for those big telecom companies. It's got to be equitably distributed for people throughout the region. Very good point. Very good point. Well, thank you. And speaking of good points, uh, points are something that I rarely scored in sports, but the sport of beef is one with a time-honored tradition. And what would you say? The um, the bell of the ball when it comes to bell beef is... <laughs> The bell of the ball when it comes to beef is our own Big John. John, what do you got? We're recording this on a Thursday. This is very unusual for us, but John's going to be out uh, throughout this weekend. So it's an early one. You got This is like a beef where you've had to come up with another one quite quickly. So, Ladies and gentlemen, we are pleased to present to you the beef-feeding mouth of the South coming to you live from a foreclosed Ponderosa back-to-back buffet world champion beef with Big John. Yeah. Uh, so this one, it changed too. It's funny um, that there, it, it, it was going to be something else at the beginning of the day. And now it's going to be something totally different. And that's the fact that like, I no longer, and, and I look, I got beef with myself on this. Okay. 
I got beef with myself. Holy yeah, shit, this that's, is, the mo- that's the most meta beef is, that's ever yeah, happened. Yeah, because for a really long time, and I will admit, when I ran for office, I really struggled with this concept, right? Um, that I, obviously, like, I ran as a Democrat. There were things that people agreed with me with. There were, you know, things that they didn't, uh, even on the Democratic side. But I always, in my head, was... Yeah, you got called libtard a lot. It was pretty which, wild. Which was weird. But then I then I would also get called, like, too conservative. So it was like, uh, I couldn't do anything right, you know? Which is, I think that's how most politicians feel. But anyway, for a really long time, my messaging uh, and the way I really did think was, you need to respect the opinions of everyone. That I always pushed that, Right. And it's going to be a hot take. I can already feel it. <laughs> and to a, to a point, I still think that. Right. So like there there are opinions that you should respect there. Are, you know, there are things that we could have a disagreement on. Like, Chuck, uh, what's your favorite Tudor's biscuit? OK. All right. Uh, yeah. My, John, my favorite my favorite Tudor's biscuit is the Huggy Bear. OK, well, mine mine is the Thundering Herd. But I respect your opinion, Chuck. OK. I respect your opinion. I think you're fucking bullshit. You're full of shit, and that one fucking sucks. But that—that's an opinion you can respect. That's a topic. There is no more of this. I have to respect people's opinions when they're being bigots. I'm—I'm I'm not respecting that. That sounds like something that came from Twitter. I'm—I'm <laughs> I'm not respecting that. I'm not respecting people who want to talk down to, uh, to trans people. No. I don't respect that. There, there's no way, shape, or form can I can I tolerate that anymore, and I won't. That that's just, and no one should because it's bullshit. And the fact is, like, I can't even respect people who are like, oh, you know, uh, Black Lives Matter is uh, is not as important as Blue Lives Matter, whatever. The, no, like people are people are being killed. I'm done respecting those opinions. That's it's it's not a joke anymore. And to be honest with you, Chuck. Whoever came up with respect other people's opinions, it was because they probably had some really shitty opinions. And that's that's the truth of the matter. The the people who want you to respect other people's opinions are the people who shouldn't who deserve zero respect for their opinions. Nothing. They don't deserve it at all because they're probably being bigots or they're being assholes or they're being racist. They're doing something that is not justifiable, but they expect you to sit by and shut your mouth so that they could spew their QA on bullshit and that's I'm done with that. I don't respect that anymore because look, we in 2016, the respect other people's opinion is what got Trump elected point blank because we we said, oh, you know, you got to respect what they're saying, though. No, you don't. <laughs> you don't. It's dangerous to respect that opinion now. It really is. We've seen the damage it will cause. No more of it. Stand up for what you think. Stop respecting other people's opinion. If it comes down to life, death, them being bigots, racist, whatever, S- stop respecting it. Because there, it doesn't deserve respect. Respect is earned is how I've always thought of it. And I think that that's how I'm going to play on people's opinions now is like, is it something that I can respect? Even if I disagree wholeheartedly, but is it something that I can sit down and say, you know what? It's at least respectable. And being a bigot, nah, not going to happen. Uh, <laughs> it's just, I'm not going to respect, I'm not going to respect Ben Shapiro. Well, well, Big John's internet did cut out right there, uh, but what he was saying is he doesn't respect Venus Shapinas, and I'd have to agree with him. I don't either. Um, I think it's safe to say it's not a controversial thing to say, uh, fuck bigots. I don't think that's controversial. And look, there's certain opinions, yeah, that you can respect. Um, you know, if you think uh, that that trade trade that's a great one you know free trade fair trade keep it domestic that great one great debate going on there not particularly interested in it personally uh protect the american worker that's my opinion but on things like i don't think the holocaust existed that's an opinion it's a dumb opinion and it's an easily disprovable opinion and it's also one that doesn't merit anybody's respect. If an opinion is res- can be respected, you should respect it. If it can't, and you think, or maybe you know, that you sitting by and tolerating that is bad for somebody else, because let's face it, Chuck, we're two white guys, right? The opinions of other people probably aren't going to affect us too much because, to be honest, you know, we're lucky. We're pretty privileged people. 
you know, and, and I think that some people are afraid to admit that. I don't know why it's weird. Um, but us sitting around and like just letting somebody spew hatred towards, uh, you know, towards the black community or towards the LGBT community or something like that. Like we're not a part of that community. We'll never take that on it, you know, as something, but the least we can do is tell that person to shut the fuck up. I mean, just point blank. Yeah. I'm, I'm here for that. Yeah. No, we're, we're very privileged. Um, you know, my only, my only claim to fame is I'm a quarter Syrian and I've only had one racial slur in regard to that hurled at me and it was at Shepard. So, um, but yeah, we are, you're right. And, uh, and I'll tell them to go fuck themselves. I don't give a shit. So I was trying, I was trying to cut down on cussing, <laughs> but then this came up. <laughs> You've done a great job. I, I haven't. I was I'm trying. Not trying. And then this, this beef came up and I don't like it anymore. <laughs> I have to express. Well, I found really good. I found really good ways of bleeping it out this time. I, I, I ripped from a banjo kazooie, um, audio track where I have kazooie just going, so like like I cut like for the last episode when you said walk up in the in the club like what up I got a big cock it goes what up I got a big <laughs> people really people really people really enjoyed uh, what is it at Cockalacha <laughs> that is not motivating me to make that coffee table book I'll tell you that I don't give a fuck who who liked it or however many people I liked mean it. honestly like that was that people really enjoyed that I think that you're gonna have to become a publisher. <laughs> Well, you know what they also enjoy is a good beef with Big John like this one was. And they also enjoy our social media, so follow us on there. Check us out on our website, appodlatch.com, patreon.com slash appodlatch. You get an exclusive every single week, as well as many other bonus things. And then finally, shoot us an email, info at appodlatch.com. Always love to hear from you. You can find that by just going to Gmail or you can you can send us something on our website, you know, go there too. And they can mail us stuff. And they can mail us stuff. I don't know why anybody would want to mail us anything, but if you feel mail so inclined, stuff. you can do the P.O. box. John will get it. He'll feel very excited. And P.O. Um, PO box 2466, Parkersburg, West Virginia, 26102. I'll pick it up. And I decided something, Chuck. If someone sends us something, we will we will open it right here. Yeah. Um, so don't send us dick pics unless you want them on YouTube. Then we're really going to become at Cockalacha. <laughs> at Cockalacha. It's the it's the only fans version of our podcast. <laughs> it's just a collection of dick pics, folks. So you uh, get what you pay for. Brought to you by Macklemore. What up? I've got a coffee table book of dicks. <laughs> and on that note, we'll close it out. Thank you all for listening so much. And we'll be back next week with more Apod Latcha.